The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? And not once, it's another week. Playoffs are picking up intensity. Let's go. All right. Know the Score is being brought to you on the CSPN. You can find us on the web at www.cspn.us. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, and Google Play. We can also be downloaded and subscribed through any iTunes or Android app for podcasts. So, Dwayne, before we get started in the playoffs, this is NFL Draft Week. It is. So the NFL Draft is taking place Thursday night, and the Cleveland Browns, they are sitting on the number one pick. Decisions, decisions. It looks like it's coming down between Josh Allen and Sam Darnold. So if you were Kevin Costner, who would you pick at number one? <laughs> um, if I'm Kevin Costner, I'd probably go with Josh Allen. But if I John Dorsey, who's the real GM of the Browns here, I would go with Sam Darnold. Um, uh, Josh Allen is a good quarterback, and he's very um, – he was MVP of the Senior Bowl. He, his stock has risen tremendously. Uh, coming from Wyoming in the Mountain West and those unique uniforms, I should say. And, but Sam Darnold has been consistently up there. He had an excellent pro day. Um, remember when we had um, uh, Mr. Felder on uh, from In the Bleachers, he was high on Sam Darnold. I can't go against Felder. So um, he, if he is high on Darnold um, and his sources said Darnold, I'm going to stick with that. And um, if I'm John Dorsey, I'll go with Sam Darnold. Um, Kevin Costner will probably pick Josh Allen. Uh, we never knew how those Browns picks turned out in the movie anyway. So there is that. Well, this is about to be, you know, life imitating art because Cleveland, you know, they have all these picks in the first round. You know, they have the first four. They have to yeah, the fourth pick comes back around to them as well. So let's say Josh Allen gets passed by. So then that puts the onus on the Giants. And it seems like the Giants from all the reports here lately have them squarely settling on Saquon Barkley to finally, you know, fill that running back void that they've had for such a long time. So is Josh Allen going to be the guy that we see sitting in the green room for 11, 12, 13 picks later than everybody, you know, maybe projected him to be going? Uh, considering where a lot of these teams are leaning towards, most likely, and uh, you know, I think the Jets are high on Baker Mayfield. Yeah, they're going to try this uh, Broadway Baker thing, huh? I, I believe so. Um, I mean, you also got to look at the Josh Rosen factor, too, so... Um, quarterback needy team will probably focus on Josh Rosen as well. Um, we got Bradley Chubb, uh, who's up there in the top five. Uh, Saquon Barkley would be a perfect fit for the Giants because, like you said, they haven't had a feature running back in a very long time. Uh, Brandon Jacobs was probably one of the last relevant running backs on that team, or my Bradshaw, I should say, before he left. So, Saquon Barkley would probably be the best um, pick for Dave Gettleman inside the Giants. And then he builds a line around there, and we go from there. Yeah, it's a lot easier to run block than it is to pass block. And I guess they're trying to kind of use the New Orleans Saints formula where, you know, if we can get you some guys who can run and can catch the ball, too, we can, you know, save the wear and tear on Eli. And if you can just be effective instead of having to throw it 33 times, if we can get you by with throwing it 23 times, you know, we may be able to get you through a whole season and you not get sacked and actually have a chance to, you know, win games. But that is all dependent on the availability. And if, you know, Odell Beckham wants to join the team, we don't know how we've heard all about his contract, but we don't we haven't heard about how he's progressing through his injury. So well, there was a video of Odell Beckham 
actually pulling uh, trucks and cars and whatnot like a strongman competition. So okay, he's actually out there. Um, I'm glad you saw something I didn't see. That thank you, sir. Yeah, no problem. Um, so yeah, there was a there was video circulating of Beckham um, pulling pulling vehicles to get that. Uh, yeah, pulling car. Yeah, he pulled a. SUV as part of the off-season training, so um, so it looks like he's trying to make sure that knee really gets straightened out and strong enough so he doesn't have to go through that uh, broken leg situation again. Right, right. And then the you know last little bit of news that's been kind of brewing here leading into the draft for the last week, ten days or so. Lamar Jackson. The Patriots seem to be sniffing around the chicken coop, and they're like, hmm, this could be interesting. It seems like it could be a perfect fit because Josh McDaniels did have Tim Tebow. It seems like Josh McDaniels is squarely settled in to kind of be the heir apparent to Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick definitely wants to secure somebody in-house before he, you know, hands over the reins. So... Does Lamar Jackson make sense for the Patriots? I think they're down at like 26, somewhere around there, when they get one of their first picks. Because, you know, they got a bunch of picks, too, uh, in the late first round and beginning of the second round. So what do you think about Lamar Jackson maybe being the quarterback for the Josh McDaniels here to the Patriots? It would be a good fit. He's worthy of a first-round pick, and he's also worthy of uh, being a quarterback. And as long as... You know, they don't try to make him a slash player or a gadget guy or somebody who he isn't, then why not? He's got the numbers, he has the he has the speed, he has the arm, he's won a Heisman, he's been a Heisman finalist two times. So uh, I really think that Joshua Daniels, he has the offense that will work for Lamar and Lamar will succeed. Uh I have no reason to believe that he would it be a great late round gem and and he'll be a good um addition to the Patriots as they do transition into the McDaniels era, uh, should McDaniels be the likely heir apparent and then uh especially right now with Tom Brady not really fully saying he's coming back for twenty eighteen. He still has a come out and said, hey, I'm coming back to play. Uh, Brady is at 41. He would love to play more longer, but he's also had people in his ear trying to, you know, say, hey, retire, spend more time with your family, which has been one of his desires as well. So, um, which is a very underrated but interesting story. I think it really isn't blown up as much as we think as it would because everybody's probably just saying, okay, he's going to be bad because it's Brady, and that quest for a six-ring would entice him and things like that, but um, he hasn't reported to the off-season workouts. Gronk hasn't either. We still don't know what he's going to do, if he's going to stay or be a WWE superstar. So, <laughs> oh, no, he said that uh, he was coming back. Okay, yeah, yeah. so he did say he's coming yeah, back. So, yeah. so um, we still don't know what... Uh, Brady's going to do at the moment, so uh, we shall see. All right. Now, before we get off of the draft talk, is there a particular player that you've warmed up to that you'd like to see your beloved Carolina Panthers maybe take that some of you know the reporters or you know people that kind of do these things are getting some reads on or some guys that you've seen they've had visits with in the last yeah, couple of weeks? To, I try to avoid the mock drafts because most times – those mock drafts are exactly what they are, a mockery. So um, there are guys that I would like to see on Carolina, which uh, this year is Calvin Ridley, who would be a great uh, addition to the team. Um, Carolina needs a receiver that can catch the ball and be a top target other than Greg Olson and Christian McCaffrey out the backfield. I mean, don't get me wrong, McCaffrey has McCaffrey exceeded my expectations last year, but uh, we don't want to overutilize him. Um, Curtis Samuel was pretty good until he got hurt. Same with Demir Bird. But if we get an actual number one receiver with the speed and the hands of Ridley to complement Devin Funches on the other side, to be uh, Ridley could be the speed guy, Funches the possession guy, along with Greg Olson, 
uh, who's a tight end, and that would be the ideal first round scenario for uh, Carolina right there. All right. Uh, like Dwayne said uh, earlier, you can go back in the archives and listen to our uh, combine and NFL draft uh, review and preview of the drafts. We had a combine review and we previewed the NFL draft with in the bleachers, Mr. Michael Felder. So please go check that out uh, if you still need some in-depth draft analysis. This is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm here with the Libra icon, Dwayne, and we're going to shift into the NHL playoffs. Dwayne. Those Winnipeg Jets, they moved past the Minnesota Wild in four games to one with a 5-0 win in game five. So they're moving on. The, this uh, collapse cost the Wilds GM his job today. So he's out of there. Um, you know, Eric Stahl had you know, a season that fans here in Raleigh would have died for at any point in the last seven or eight. But uh, it was all for not as the upstart Jets. Came in and and got him in a gentleman's sweep. Yeah, this was. I actually uh, did this game Friday night and want to pay like thirty one. I barely got everything set up with the Jets scoring the first goal thirty one seconds in, and between the fact that the Jets were at home and the Winnipeg whiteout was in full effect, and the crowd outside, like everybody in Winnipeg, thirty thousand. Uh, 15 inside, 15,000 outside the arena having a watch party. It was pretty much a whitewash for Minnesota. And uh, Devin Dubnik had a horrible game. His teammates left him out to dry. Um, the Wild were missing their key defensemen, their offensive weapon, uh, Ryan Suter, the whole series. And it showed, um, you know, and then they lost Zach Parise, uh, the other big star in Minnesota, the injury. And, you know, Eric Stahl did all he could, but, you know, he is aging. He is getting up there. And and um, despite his great season and the middle stars of the Wild were completely missing their own milk cartons uh, the whole series. So it was a tough, tough sledding for Minnesota. Uh, you know, Chuck Fletcher, yeah, as you alluded to, he lost his job. Uh, as GM Wild fans are calling for his head because, you know, they get to the playoffs every year and they've only got out the first round in the last several years just one time. Now it's only to the second round. So uh, Winnipeg has had a dream season. They've built this team um, to from the from the ground up to make a build to last for times like this. And this was the vision that they had when they moved from Atlanta uh, several years ago and it's finally paying off. So uh, it's going to be a great, great series in the next round for them. All right. The Tampa Bay Lightning closed out the New Jersey Devils three, uh, three to one in game five. Uh, the Lightning, you know, do what they do, skate fast and score goals. And then they don't let you score because they have one of the best goaltenders in the league. So uh, just talk about the Lightning, you know, uh, Stan Coast back. Is he is he back healthy? Yeah, Stan Coast is back. And, and uh, he came back in. Game four. Well, he came back for the series, but he really did uh, come alive in in uh, game in this game. Um, but it was uh, the goaltending of Andre Vasilevsky, who is a Vezina um, Vezina Trophy candidate for best goaltender. And this team, Tampa Bay, is very good. Like you said, they skate fast, they score goals. And they're more than just Steven Stamkos. Uh, they got Nikita Kucherov. On offense, Tyler Johnson, um, and um, a bunch of other guys uh, who fill their roles, and and um, you know they got veteran presence from Ryan Callahan, who was a former New York Ranger, but he is uh, now in Tampa, and the Lightning showing why they're the best team in the East all season, and uh, the best team in the league for most of the season, and this team has the depth and the and the speed to go pretty far in these uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. So, but they still got that juggernaut in the East who comes alive at the right time with the Pittsburgh Penguins to worry about if they get out of the next round uh, between the Bruins and the Maple Leafs. Speaking of the Penguins, they moved on to the next round. They defeated the Flyers 8-5 to in Game 6. 
I don't know if they're going to have any goals left in the next round because I know they scored 13 in the last two games that they won. Mm-hmm. So, man, that's a lot of scoring. Yes, uh, a ton of scoring in this series, period. I mean, between both teams. I mean, give the Flyers a lot uh, of Pittsburgh. They scored seven in game one, five in game three when they won. Uh, they scored another five in game four when they won. So... Uh, this was 17 goals in three games before they dropped eight. So 25 goals in the series uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's just over uh, six goals a game in the series. Um, and uh, the Flyers had two shutouts in the series. They, they put up uh, they put up a good fight in this game, but um, Pittsburgh just showed they wanted it more uh, in this game six. I mean, if you were a casual sports fan and you know you weren't interested i mean if you're a casual sports fan and you wanted to see a lot of goals this was the game for you um you know a lot of scoring in this series a lot of scoring in that game six but the flyers though give them credit this was a team that wasn't supposed to even be in the playoffs they even got to the division lead at one point only to get a wild card spot against you know their old Pennsylvania rivals in their division and 96 points and this is a team that's on the rise they're going to be a good team in the future like I just can't you know I mean I think Philadelphians have been spoiled lately with their championships and the possibility of another one with the Sixers playing very well but uh, don't don't be down too hard on the Flyers because this was a team that really showed up and showed out when nobody really gave him a chance to. All right. It's a team that's near and dear to your area of the country, the Nashville Predators. One in game six, five to nothing to close out the Colorado Avalanche. So they're going into the second round, feeling good, scoring a lot of goals, not allowing any goals. Let's talk about the Predators as they're going to line up against Winnipeg in the next round. Yeah, this is going to be an epic series. Uh, Jets fans, they were the ones saying we want Nashville in the Minnesota game towards the end. Uh, you heard we want Nashville chance for quite some time. So, um, so the Predators, you know, this was two of the best teams points wise in the NHL, two of the top three teams um, in the Central Division. Uh, the President's Trophy winning Predators are the team that, you know, People are saying they're the team to beat. I mean, they have the best home ice advantage in the NHL, but it is pretty much rival. I mean, if you watch a Winnipeg Jets game, and you'll see how how intimidating that Winnipeg whiteout can be. So, um, you got two Vezina Trophy candidates, the other two Vezina finalists, and Pecorine and Connor Hellebuck. Uh, Hellebuck hasn't allowed a goal. In the last two games, he shut out the Wild in games four and five, and he had a third period on there in uh, game three, and then Pecorine, who shut out the Avalanche. So um, it's going to be one of those things where you're either going to get great goaltending or a lot of scoring in the series. You got two loud, passionate fan bases, and, and you know the Predators are on a mission to claim the cup that you know they felt like they should have beat Pittsburgh last year, but they fell to them in six games, but uh, the key to the key to beating the Predators is taking a game at home. Uh, give the Colorado Avalanche credit. This was another team. This was a team who was the worst team two years ago, and then took the Western Conference finalists from last year and the President's Trophy winners to six games. Young core, bright future, great head coaching. And Jared Bender. Um, they were down to their third string goalie. I only can imagine if it went to seven if they had a better goaltender. So uh, hats off to the Avalanche as well. All right. The Boston Bruins, they lead the Maple Leafs three games to two after the Leafs won game five, three to two. You're still on mute for me, Dwayne. Okay. Um, so with the Bruins, the the um, they're trying to go back to Boston and get ready for the Lightning, but the Maple Leafs are trying to go back to Boston with them for game seven. This is a series that wasn't supposed to have gone the way the Maple Leafs have envisioned. Uh, Boston's a young team that 
got off to a good start. The, I think the main police finally have things figured out, but it's going to take a monster effort at home here in game six. Frederick Anderson, the Leafs goaltender, is going to have to be on his uh, best game, and the Leafs are going to have to make sure they get, you know, in the Magic Johnson analysis, they just have to make sure they get more goals than the Bruins. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, it's going to be one of those things where they just have to use their speed. Austin Matthews is going to have to be uh, the star for the Maple Leafs and and uh, just um, outplay, outduel this young Bruins team who has a nice mix of young and old and, and uh, you know, try to force that game seven in Boston on, on Wednesday night. But if Boston wins, of course, they get the lightning in the next round, which will be one heck of a series, especially since uh, Boston blew the chance to be the top team in the East and squandered it to Tampa Bay. All right. The Capitals, they've won three straight to go from down 0-2 to up three games to two after a 4-3 overtime win in game five over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, so this series has been probably the most competitive series in the NHL playoffs so far. Five of the six games in the series, or four of the five games, I should say, have gone into overtime. Uh, once the Capitals made the switch to Braden Holpe in game three, that's when things turned around for them. And, you know, they're probably wondering why I wasn't Holpe in the net to begin with. Uh, they were going with the hot hand in Gravnier. Uh, but, you know, when Columbus sprung out that 2-0 lead, Washington got two on the road. And then, you know, being, you know, as you usually say, the first team to win the road game is when the series starts. This time it's the first team to win at home starts the series. So now... The Capitals are a win away. Uh, John Tortorella, Blue Jackets head coach, um, said that we're going, we're coming back here for Game Seven, and so at seven thirty Eastern tonight, as we record this, we need to just see if Tort says where it is Bond and see if the there will be a Game Seven in Washington for the Capitals, and you know we don't want to see. I know, I know Capitals fans who have <laughs> endured so much heartbreak in the Ovechkin era. The last thing they want is another first-round exit. I mean, if they don't get a first-round exit, we've seen the script before with the second-round exits in this team. So, um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out uh, tonight. All right, and finally, San Jose as they sweep Anaheim as they got a two to one victory at game in game four at home. And, you know, they've probably been the most impressive, just kind of, you know, getting rid of Anaheim, dispatching of them and they're getting some rest and looking forward to the next round. Yeah, this is a series that, I mean, the way Anaheim played at the end of the season, they leapfrogged San Jose to get the home ice and the Sharks ended up just, skating circles around the Ducks. Uh, the Ducks pretty much looked old and slow, and and um, the goaltending of Martin Jones in the playoffs has been stellar. Uh, the fast skating of uh, Evander Kane, Joe Pavelski, Logan Couture, uh, Thomas, Thomas Hurdle, uh, and, and many others on the Sharks. I mean, the Sharks outscored the Ducks 16-4, including that 8-1 to shelling uh, last week in Game 3. Uh, you know, they're playing uh, the Vegas Golden Knights in the second round. Uh, the dates in the second round on the Western side haven't been set because everybody's waiting on the East to uh, finish up here. So um, we may not we may not even get to see what happens in the East until Wednesday night. So, um, so we just need to kind of just see how it plays out. I think if um, one of these teams wins – one of those, I think if one of the the Bruins or Capitals win, we'll get an idea when the second round series will start. But right now, right now it's just a wait, a waiting game. And give a credit to the to the Ducks. I mean, they did have 101 points this season, but it's the San Jose Sharks who get the Vegas Golden Knights in the second round. And hopefully, for my sake on the fan side, uh, the Sharks do move forward. But Vegas is a tough team. They built this team from the ground up, probably the most perfect way possible. It's been a Cinderella season, but 
uh, I would love for the clock to strike midnight on them. <laughs> All right. There you have it. Recap of the NHL playoffs. Reminder that this is Know the Score. We're being brought to you by the CSPN. You can find us on the web at www.cspn.us. And this week, we're being brought to you by Amazon. Amazon.com is a proud sponsor of Know the Score. And you can help keep the podcast free and shop through Amazon to get whatever you may need. Mother's Day is coming up. Please don't wait to the last minute. There's still several weeks away from having to have a gift. And you can get everything you need at Amazon through CSPN. So go to www.cspn.us. Click on the menu tab. Scroll down to where it says support our sponsors. Click on Amazon. Do your shopping as you normally would. And some of your purchase will come back to the network to help keep Know the Score free each and every week. So Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. All right, Dwayne, we're going to get into our final topic here, the NBA playoffs. We're going to start off with the New Orleans Pelicans. They swept the Portland Trailblazers. Anthony Davis, 47 points in the closeout game. And Drew Holiday, he chipped in with 41. So very impressive. The most impressive team by far. And the playoffs have been the Pelicans. Anthony Davis has not had any, uh, you know, big stage jitters. And, uh, you know, Drew Holiday has definitely risen to the occasion. And Rondo, you know, give him some credit, too, because he's been a maestro getting those guys ball in areas where they can score and do damage. So just talk about how impressed you've been with the Pelicans as they got their first ever sweep in franchise history. Very impressed with the Pelicans and. You know, it was once DeMarcus Cousins went down and uh, give, give the Pelicans credit, they made a lot of moves to um, sustain their season. Um, Marodich was a huge factor. I mean, in game three, he dropped 30. So that was a big, um, big factor there. And the closeout game uh, was amazing. Uh, you know, give Portland credit. They tried, they tried to you know, keep up with this um, high-score, fast-paced Pelicans team. But when you have uh, Rajon Rondo on playoff mode and when you have the monster and Anthony Davis and you get a third guy like Drew Holiday or Nikola Morales to step up, it's going to be very, very hard to uh, beat this team. And we will definitely see if this will keep going uh, in the second round, I'm sure. Uh, we know the likely opponent of the Pelicans in round two, uh, with, which could be Golden State, but we shall see if uh, how that series ends. But hats off to New Orleans. Great game. Great, great job by um, Alvin Gentry coaching this team and the players executing it. I love the runouts <laughs> in uh, New Orleans. Uh, you know, this team... This team's fun to watch, and and like you you said, uh, this is a good chance for uh, people to actually appreciate and see the talent of Anthony Davis, and and he did not disappoint one bit. Yep. Somebody else the country got a chance to see again in primetime was Joel Embiid as he returned in Game 3 down in Miami and helped the Sixers steal Game 3 and Game 4 to go back home leading the series three games to two. Now, this series has had, you know, the most confrontation. There have been some fisticuffs or near fisticuffs, some pushing and shoving, some, you know, spilling out into the crowd. So, uh, you know, entertaining for sure. The games have been, you know, pretty close except for just that, you know, the first game that was a total beat down. So uh, just talk about Embiid coming back, uh, you know, was a little shaky in the first few minutes, but as the game wore on in game three, he found his legs and then game four, you know, he really, and him and Ben Simmons really tag teamed it up and, and did the uh, Miami Heat in. Right. And, and uh, of course, uh, Joel Embiid, he's been chomping at the bit to get into these uh, playoff games, get into this environment and, and, uh, you know, this has been a battle. Two great games in Miami. They were both battles. And and uh, the Sixers just came out on the right side of the battle. So this is a team that has a chance to close out the heat in games in game five. Uh, it's uh, this, uh, three to one right three, now. Yeah, three games and to so, one. Yeah. And so um, we can see game five in Philadelphia on um, Tuesday night. And 
I think the Sixers close it out and you know gives them a chance to get some rest in the in the um, postseason, especially with um, Boston and Milwaukee going to at least six. So last thing the Sixers want to do is uh, go back to Miami. I think if they go back to Miami, we're going to see a game seven eventually. So uh, they just need to handle their business when they get when they play that home game uh, Tuesday night. What's very impressive about the Sixers before we move on is just for such a young team, they didn't catch that Miami flu in the playoffs, you know? Ask James Harden about it from the finals. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> they did not catch the Miami flu. They have a, a you know, uh, Brett Brown is a, is a Santa Antonio Spurs great pop disciple. So he knows how to get this team and st- keep this team focused so they don't avoid those kind of distractions. I know Miami is one of those tempting hotbeds. So uh, great job by this this. Um, this uh, Philadelphia team and their coaches sat to keep the team focused. Uh, I mean, Harden might have got a Minnesota flu the way the Rockets played to game three. So, so uh, yeah. As we're going to just go right into that, as the Timberwolves used a home court advantage to get back into the series, they defeated the Rockets 121-105 in Game 3. Jimmy Butler led the way with 28 points, and Carl Anthony Towns finally showed up. He had 18 points and 16 rebounds. So, as you said, James Harden, uh, with his first bad effort in a long while, playoffs, regular season, all-star game, pickup game probably, (laughs) in the last two years. Yeah, and, you know, this was Minnesota's first playoff game in 14 years. I mean, they waited a very long time. I mean, this was NBA Siberia for the most part. Like, nobody wanted to go to Minnesota. Nobody wanted to, uh, you know, change the culture until Towns and Wiggins arrived. And, and um, you know, I've seen people say Andrew Wiggins regressed, but, it, I mean, it, I mean, he dropped 20 points on Minnesota, and I think that was one of the main things that the Wolves had was balanced scoring among their starting five. And if they could get that balance for for most of the series, I mean, you think really game four tonight, they played three games, and Minnesota's had the event. I mean, Minnesota's played two great games; they just had a very bad game too. So if they could go, if they could even this series up, and find a way to stay competitive to the point where they could actually steal game five, game six would be very, very interesting. And we would need to really see how desperate the Rockets can be because maybe we were looking at the wrong one versus eight matchup <laughs> in terms of the one seed being vulnerable. But then again, the one seed in the East is looking pretty vulnerable at the moment right now as well. So We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stay in the West. We're going to finish up with them. Well, not yet, but we've got the Utah Jazz behind 26 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists. Triple-double from Ricky Rubio defeated the Thunder 115-102 in Game 3, and now they lead the series two games to one. Uh, Donovan Mitchell did Donovan Mitchell things as well. I think he had like 23 or something like that in this, this game. So, uh, And uh, Ingles finally showed up in this game yeah. as well. Nothing like being at home for Game 3 and... Well, you you know, we give Oklahoma City the moniker of Loud City, but I think we forgot how big of a factor that Salt Lake City crowd is for the Jazz in the playoffs because they were they were loud from start to finish. They were they they played a huge role in that environment, and Ricky Rubio just showed out, and I didn't. I forgot who this Ricky. I, I forgot he went to Spain, Ricky Rubio. This wasn't even early Timberwolves, Ricky Rubio. This was Spain, Ricky Rubio, the guy who could make passes, rebound, score, and and the Jazz did not disappoint. Like you said, Joe Ingles showed up. Like I said, and uh, Rudy Gobert was a good was a big factor. Jay Crowder and and a bunch of role players did a great job for the Jazz and. I want to see how how much of a word Russell Westbrook has because he said this is not going to happen in Game Four, which is tonight as we record this. So, um, so we'll see how Westbrook and company respond. Um, who's going to be the guy to sustain and weather the storm and 
And maybe the jazz uniforms were just distracting. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, that multicolored sunset of Utah and that court and the crowds of shirts, maybe that was a distraction as well. But uh, great game, great effort by the jazz. And, you know, can't wait for game four. This, part, this was a series I wanted to see go the distance. And I hope the jazz can find a way to even the series so we can get a full seven games out of it. You mean the Thunder? <laughs> yeah, Thunder Jazz. Um, no, yeah, what's, what's interesting is remember when we when this move first happened and we were talking about what's going to happen when they get in the playoff game and it's close and you got three guys who don't want to move the ball on the same yeah, team. We had, we had this discussion. Yes. And what did you see at the end of game three? Straight up ISO ball. Mm-hmm. And what was the Jazz doing? Limiting them to one shot and getting out, running them down the court, and just mm-hmm. you know, basically ran them off the court in the fourth quarter. It, it, it was a close they game, did. and then in the fourth quarter, with the ISO they ball did. kicked in, ISO ball plus opponents hitting threes at every angle equals a disaster. Right. So that's my biggest thing I'm going to take away is what does Billy Donovan change up in the fourth quarter to keep, you know, the ball from sticking in one particular guy's hands to make it easier for Utah to guard them. So that'll be something to look for in game four. Then we're going to shift over to the Milwaukee Bucks. They came home, got some home cooking. The Bradley Center is going to at least make get one more game as they got two games at home uh, against the Celtics to even things up. Giannis got a tip with five seconds left. That was basically yeah. the game winner for game four. Boston uh, couldn't hit their last second desperation shot. So yeah. Boston uh, got behind big in game three. Uh, never really got close. Got behind big again in game four. Actually had the uh, game, uh, was up by one a couple of times late in the game, but couldn't hold on and execute. So uh, talk about your Celtics and, uh, you know, just trip to Milwaukee and, and how the Bucks have come to life at, at home. Uh, well, the Bucks did what they were supposed to do. I mean, that's one thing in these series you're expected to win at home and uh, like we said the series I always say the series doesn't start until a road team wins a game and I want to say that you know from game game three was an absolute stinker for Boston I mean Milwaukee outplayed them they needed that game they out hustled them they did everything they were supposed to do from wire to wire so that that was just something I just uh, said you know what just regroup get ready for game four uh, they got to a good start in game four and then Milwaukee woke up. Um, Parker had Parker had um, different looks. Uh, Thon Maker had a lot of good looks, and you know those two really showed up in Milwaukee for games three and four because I did not see them be any kind of effect in games one and two. Um, and then uh, they got a good tip from Giannis. I mean, he's caught a couple bodies in the series and. And he had the tip in, and the shot by Marcus Morris to try to go to overtime just went in and out. So, um, so I think if you go back to Boston, I mean, you, you're encouraged because you're at home once again. Uh, and you know, you got the Garden, and we know how the Garden shows up in the playoffs. So, uh, I hope they can pull out a. Victory in Game Five, you know, like the Bradley Center has got one more game in them at least for Game Six, and um, you know if Boston can uh, make a, if they can sustain and win Game Five, they just had to get out and they just had to play a consistent forty-eight and not take two and uh, two point two quarters off and and uh, try to play catch up for the rest of the game. All right. An inspired San Antonio Spurs team. They lead wire to wire and they defeat the Warriors 103 to 90. LaMarcus Aldridge and Manu Ginobili lead the way. The Warriors continue to lead the series three games to one. So uh, the Spurs on their home court didn't want to get swept. So they definitely, uh, of course, playing with heavy hearts as Greg Popovich lost his wife uh, to tell in the middle of last week. So uh, he's taking a leave of absence. And, uh, you know, the old guys uh, stepped up to the plate and got it done one time. So um, 
I guess the Warriors will probably get this done over with when the series shifts back to Oakland in a couple of days. Yeah, this was a um, condolences to the Popovich family and the Spurs organization as well. Um, very tough time for um, for Greg and and his um, children and his in-laws and everything around him, but. Good job by Spurs assistant head coach uh, Matori Messina, who is actually a candidate for the Charlotte Hornets head coaching job, and he's making a case for it by giving this team the boost to keep their minds focused on the game. And you know they played inspired ball in Game Three, but Game Four was even more inspiring to um, you know show that they're here to battle and here to win and. You know, they're not out of it by any means. But, you know, like it says, going back to Oakland and and um, we likely could see the end of the series. But you never know what can happen. Um, we may, maybe we'll get a game six and, you know, have NBA Twitter kind of having all these hot takes on the Warriors collapse. But uh, if Warriors could get, get the focus back, and I think they will be in that home. Um, you know, Duran and Duran's gonna have his good game, but they're gonna need Clay and or Draymond to have better games and then maybe a third guy step up and they'll be able to just move on and get that second round matchup with New Orleans. All right. The Washington Wizards. They showed signs of life at home and they won both games to even up the series with the Raptors at two games apiece. John Wall led the way in game four with 27 points and 14 assists. He had a couple of nice posterizing dunks as well. Uh, the Wizards, uh, they battled back. Uh, I know game three, they really actually came out strong. They blitzed Toronto, uh, put up a big number as far as points scored. And uh, I know you tweeted uh, the account that, you know, this was a team that you thought, you know, would show up from the jump. And uh, it looks like they, they carried over a little bit there of that in the game four. But uh, Toronto definitely showed up with a much better mindset in game four. And uh, it was a nip and tuck victory for the uh, Wizards. Yeah, this um, this was a Wizards team I was expecting to see in Game One. Um, you know, they they held serve at home. Uh, we're gonna get at least six out of this series, but now it's got you gotta find a way to win up in Toronto. And you know, if they can steal one in Toronto, uh, it's gonna be a closeout Game Six in Washington. So I gotta see what. Lowry and DeRozan and company, what Dwayne Casey's going to do in response to this, and and then uh, see how they move forward from here. So I just want Toronto to – it's going to be how you respond. And, and uh, can the Wizards, you know, take that momentum? Because Bradley Beal had a great game. He, he had a monster game. I think he had um, 31 before – he unceremoniously got fouled out on a horrible call. And if he could stay focused on his game and not the rest and the fouls, and and uh, if him and Walt could keep that chemistry that has been missing most of the season, but they're getting it back now, if they can keep that up, they will be – they can, they can uh, get over the hump. But I, I really love the matchup that – uh, the score in the backcourt matchup between Larry DeRozan and Wallen Beal, but uh, the Wizards are going to need those kind of efforts on a consistent basis, and uh, we're going to just need to see a little bit more of Kyle Lowry and those third options that were in Toronto. They need to come back since they're at home because they were missing in games three and four. Right. Uh, we saw the guy that I thought was going to be the key reemerge, especially in the third quarter of game four, and that was Otto Porter. Uh, you know, he really got things rolling there for the Wizards to start that, you know, big run that they went on in the second half to eventually overtake and then gain control of the game. So I think that's where they really have an advantage if they can kind of get Otto Porter in his scoring and his shooting groove because they definitely have an advantage at small forward if you're just going to go down the lineups and say, hmm, where can we take advantage of Toronto? Well, this would be the, you know, place I would start would be at small forward. So, It'd be interesting to see going forward uh, back in Toronto if, uh, you know, Otto Porter can continue his hot shooting. Right. And and then, um, 
you know, you got Otto Porter who has advantage, and and um, at center for Toronto, you got Serge Ibaka, who's a better scoring option than uh, Gortat. So on both sides, there's pretty much guys who have the advantage, but it's up to those coaches to utilize those advantages. Right, right. And then our last series, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They bounce back from blowing a 17-point second-half lead in Game 3 to defeat the Pacers 104-100 in Game 4 to tie the series at 2. LeBron led the Cavs with 32 points, and he got some much-needed help from Kyle Korver, who chipped in 18 points in a last-second start as he was starting for George Hill, who missed the game due to back spasms. So, um Another game where the Cavs, you know, got out on the Pacers to begin with. And then in the second quarter, in the second half of the game, the Pacers are just trying to push that tempo to tire them out. But this time they couldn't, you know, make enough uh, winning plays. And LeBron and Kyle Korver held on to get the win. Actually, a very underrated play in this game was uh, J.R. Smith making like a 75 foot shot at the end of the first quarter. And, you know, basically, you know, the score would have been 101, 100 without that. So, right. And, and, um, so yeah, with the series, this has really been the theme. And this has really been Indiana all season long for those that, you know, getting familiar with the Pacers. I mean, this is a team that is always been accustomed to slow starts and strong finishes. And then we really saw that in. Game three when um Bogdanovich dropped thirty and had fifteen in the fourth quarter and um and then they did it almost did it again because of the close scoring but the Pacers got to find a way to really one of two things that happened either a the Pacers had to find a way to have a start like they did in game one where they jumped out on the lead and put the foot on the throat and never let up. And the or B, Cleveland's going to find a way to uh, sustain these big leads so they cannot come back. So uh, with you know crisis avoided for you know the James Gang and and the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know being down three one. I mean we've seen this narrative before, of course, with a different squad, but um, but this is a team that. You know, I don't think they're built to come back for three one or things like that. So two two victory, two two going into Cleveland is basically a two out of three series now. It's a good thing for for um, uh, the Cavaliers. Uh, we'll see how they show up at home for Game Five and if they can do the match and suit thing. I think going black instead of gray was kind of the the wave there. So. Uh, maybe wear the black suits for game six and go from there. All right. So now everybody's all caught up as caught up can be for every night of the NBA playoffs that we missed uh, since our last episode. Um, besides Anthony Davis, has there been uh, another player that's kind of caught your eye that you've been like, wow, I'm really impressed by what he's done in the, you know, four games or three games that most of these teams have played. I want to say drew holiday for the most part. I mean, from the game, from the onslaught, um, you know, he's had 33, he's had a 33-point game in the first game, 41 in the clincher. I believe he had like 18 in game three. So, um, you know, if they can, if he can keep that playoff mode, that intensity going for the rest of the way, the Pelicans could be a lot more dangerous than we give them credit for. I think they would at least take the Warriors to more than six or seven games if that's if they do that. And I also liked John Wall's uh, return. Uh, ben Simmons has been a big factor for the Sixers. Uh, Jalen Brown has thoroughly impressed me for the Celtics. Uh, these playoffs have been probably the more competitive playoffs that I've seen in a very long time, at least for the first round, just one through eight. Um, a lot of these matches, we thought it would be three games or four games. I mean, not three or four. I mean, four games or five games, sorry. Um, but, you know, a lot of these are going, you know, five, six, and maybe even seven. We'll just have to wait and see if they go seven. But at least most of them are going six. So I love the competition. Uh, the parity is starting to 
be a little bit more um, apparent here for the NBA, which is what it needs because, uh, you know, as great as the Warriors and Cavs have been in the last three years, we got to find a way to see if we can get two different teams or at least somebody else in the finals at this point. All right. All right. So I'm going to give you one last chance to give your shout outs and talk about anything that we didn't cover as far as the main body of the show at this point, Dwayne. Okay. So um, shout out to the CSPN, shout out to Jamal, to yourself, uh, to Jesse Nabias. Um, can't wait to have you guys back as always. And my final thought would have to be involving the, you know, it's pretty local here. I don't want to take it away from the arena here. The shooting that happened here in um, Nashville area, Antioch, Tennessee, about 10 minutes from my job, actually. So it's really close to, uh, pretty close to home here. So uh, uh, condolences and prayers to the four victims and their families um, in a senseless uh, shooting. They did arrest the guy today. Um, and a huge, huge shout out to James Shaw, who saved a whole bunch of lives when he took the gun and, and threw it over the counter and, and uh, you know, thwarted um, these, the killer's attempts to take more lives. So uh, very dark time but you know this is something that we need to just um appreciate the hero the hero the heroics and mourn the loss of the families so uh that's why i wanted to go with that today and and thank you for those who did check on me i am fine you know but let's focus on the victims the families and and the heroics of james shaw Right. Very, very tragic, uh, senseless accident, uh, for sure. Wow. Didn't know that it was, uh, that close to you. I did hear Nashville and thought about you like, wow, in proximity, that's really close to home. So again, condolences out to, um, you know, friends and family of the victims. Um, my final thought would just be, I had a great time. The NASCAR race on Saturday night in Richmond, again, give a big shout out to Miss Deja Gilliam. I give a shout out to Sarah and Matt who were there in Richmond. I give a big shout out to Eric Jones who drove us around in the pace car. Uh, that was pretty cool to, you know, take the track and be able to make a few laps driven by, you know, an actual driver. So that was cool. Just had a full day of pit access uh, up and down pit road and got to see a lot of things that you don't really get to see from the stands, got to see how the production works and all the hard work that goes into uh, making the carnival go around the country every week. So uh, really cool experience. If you're a NASCAR fan, if you can get yourself a hot pass, definitely uh, do it once or twice or as many times as you can, because it's definitely a very interesting way to enjoy a NASCAR race. So on that note for the Libra icon, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score. <laughs>